Father, I ask that you would now during this time where we are, our minds are just meditating on the coming of your son for us, that you would speak through my feeble and imperfect lips to your people, that you would really lift them up and edify them. We pray for our, our worship director, Matt, who is uh, seeing the doctor right now, might still be in the hospital. We're not sure what he has, but you know, I pray for your healing upon him. For those many that call Epiphany home that are traveling this weekend, really all across the world, may your love and mercy go with them as they visit family and friends and celebrate your birth as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. So I'm just going to read a short passage tonight from uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45, uh, sometimes referred to throughout church history, oftentimes referred to as the visitation. I know that sounds like almost like a bad movie title now, but, uh, but that's what it's been referred to, the visitation. And it reads like this, verse 39 through 45, in those days... Which days? The days after Mary has just found out that she's pregnant with a child, not from a man, but with God's own son. Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was, for our, uh, in case you don't know the narrative, was her much older cousin, also pregnant. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In the reading. Well, so I had the opportunity the other day, um, I guess it was an opportunity, to spend some time in Midtown. Uh, I usually, this time of year, of course, like most people around here that live or have lived here, try to avoid it. Uh, but I was up by Rockefeller Center, up by 5th and 6th Avenue. And so, you know, you see Radio City Music Hall, you know, with all the lights and the, um, the big Christmas tree there and the stores, the amazing decorations and displays and the Saks Fifth Avenue light music show. I mean, I, I, I still think it's kind of cool. And of course, you turn around and there's the, the grand sort of attraction in the city, the Rockefeller Center tree, uh, looking bigger and grander than ever. And, um, and as I was walking through there, it was about rush hour, about 5 o'clock, 5 p.m., uh, there were two kinds of people in that massive, massive group of people. There was the first kind of people that, of course, you know, they were the, the tourists, they were the visitors. And you could easily tell them because every one of them to a T had their phone out and was recording either the music at Saks Fifth Avenue or they were taking selfies in front of the tree. I mean, it, it was everybody, you know, just that you got the phone out, you could see them and they were excited. And it was like the first time they were experiencing Christmas, you know, it was just full of great joy and lots of energy. But then there was the second kind of person there and you could easily tell 
because they were the ones that were walking with their heads down as fast as they could with an irritated look on their face because all these tourists wouldn't get out of their way. And of course, that was the crowd of New Yorkers that were just looking to get on the F train to go to wherever they needed to go and couldn't get on the train. Uh, and yet I, I have to believe that at some point, like even, you know, the jaded New Yorker that avoids Midtown with everything in their being, at some point has to, or had to at least at one time appreciate Christmas around Midtown. Uh, but it's just, it's easy, you know, it's easy when you become really familiar with something uh, to sort of lose your sense of awe and wonder. It's easy to become numb and bored, really, with the whole thing. And, uh, and as I've examined my own heart this Christmas, uh, it occurs to me that sometimes I can have the same underwhelming reaction even to the Christmas story itself, to the literal Christmas story. Uh, don't mean to, but, you know, we're, I've heard it a million times. And if you've ever been in church, you've heard it too. You've heard, you know, you know the story about the, you know, the, the virgin giving birth to the child. And you know, you know what, what happens with the wise men coming. And you've heard all the Christmas songs, even the really bad ones like Wham's last year. Or, you know, when, uh, what is it, last Christmas you gave me your heart and Mariah Carey's all I want for Christmas. I mean, you've heard the, the greats and the goods and the bads and everything in between. I mean, it, it's, and, and so as impossible as it would have seemed for me when I was a kid, um, it is possible to sort of just get, get numb to the thing and maybe to wait, you know, like a New Yorker in Midtown just to get through it as fast as possible. And then, and then you come across today's text that I just read to you and you see really the proper response to the presence, to the coming of the Christ. When a barely pregnant Mary makes a visit to a very excited Elizabeth. So what is it? What does it look like to respond properly? Well, I, I mean, first, obviously, there's praise. We've been doing that for the last half an hour here at the service. But Elizabeth does that. She blurts it out. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, the word blessed there can... Uh, be another word for praise. You'll see David in the Psalms often say, I bless the Lord. It's another way of saying, essentially, I speak well of the Lord. I praise the Lord. And here, Elizabeth isn't praising Mary as much as she's praising the God who has given her the fruit of her womb, namely Jesus, the Son of the living God. God is the blesser. Mary is the blessee. So, uh, and this same emphasis on praise is found all throughout the narrative of the Christmas story. So if you go on down just a little further, in Mary's famous song, The Magnificat, you hear, hear her first words, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's another, blesses the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It's appropriate for us to stop, no matter how many times we've heard the story. And to be filled with reverential awe at the idea of God making himself known and becoming just like one of us. Uh, last Christmas, I attended a candlelight Christmas 
lessons and carol service over at Calvary St. George's, a, a friendly church to ours, just right next door to where my apartment is. And, um, and the, the church there, in case you've never been in it, I mean, it's very large, it's very beautiful, very ornate, it's been around for a long time, real historic sanctuary. Uh, their lessons and carol service is something that people come from all around to attend because it's just as good as it gets. Uh, and, uh, and I love the way the service starts because you're kind of all in the dark. Place is packed to the brim. To the brim. I mean, a thousand people in there, balconies almost full. I mean, and it's just dark. And then you hear suddenly in the background the pounding of drums. It's kind of driving drums, you know, boom, 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 boom. And you're, you know, you can't help but kind of, you know, become attentive when you hear these driving drums. And then slowly but surely, you see this this procession of pastors and. Uh, musicians and choir members and all sorts of other people involved in the service starting down the aisle about to head up to the altar and they're chanting something over and over and over again with these drums that are pounding. They're chanting in Latin, Hodi Christus Natus Est, Hodi Salvator Aparuit which means today Christ is born, today the Savior appears. And they're chanting it louder and louder and louder. And then for the next hour and a half, we hear nothing but beautiful songs and scripture culminating in this final moment where the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah is sung by a beautiful full choir with the words, For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Hallelujah, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And by the end of an experience like that, you go, yeah, 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 that's, that's the proper response to the news that God makes himself present in the midst of our messy world. But praise is not all you see in this text. You also see humility. You heard verse 43. Elizabeth said to Mary, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I love that word. I love that sentence. And frankly, that could be the sentence for all of us for all of our lives. Why is it granted that God, you would come to me? Why would you want anything to do with me, God? Now, what's interesting about this statement is because Elizabeth is the much older cousin, in that culture, the custom would have been most assuredly for Mary to humble herself to Elizabeth. But because Elizabeth knows the child that Mary is carrying, she humbles herself. And our response should be the same thing. Oftentimes, I find myself being the opposite, where I get a, an attitude of entitlement you know, God, why don't you do this for me? Or why didn't you show up here or there? Or why do I have to go through this discomfort this day? I mean, it's, it's all the time. My, my, my nature goes there. Because, because in truth, oftentimes I live my life like this when it comes to my relationship with God. And it's this. I have certain expectations of you, God, and you need to obey them, Lord. You need to obey what I want for you, for you to do for me. I, I'm prone to treating God like a genie. 
But biblically speaking, that's the wrong place to be. The right place to be, the right question is, why is it granted to me that my Lord should come to me? Like Elizabeth says. The Apostle Paul uh, makes the, I think gives us the greatest example of this sort of humility. In one of his final letters to his protege, Timothy, kind of his son of the faith, trained him up how to do what he did to preach and to lead a church. And yet it is one of his final letters. I mean, you would think after years and years of walking with Jesus that he would talk about all the ways he's improved and all the ways he's become more worthy of God's affection and God's care and God's coming into his life. But no, in fact, here's what he says. He says, 1 Timothy 1.13, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And here's what he says. This is the kicker statement. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now some older translations actually translate the word foremost. Of whom I am the chief. I'm the leader. I'm the worst of them. Rather than thinking he's more worthy of God doing more for him or God coming to him, Paul, by the end of his life, sees himself as less worthy, more humble. I realize the longer and longer I go on, I could be the chief ruling the whole band of sinners, Paul says. And this leads Paul to conclude that passage in rapturous praise to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So we see praise. We see humility. The coming of, of God into the world. And when the coming of Christ happens, well, this all results in Joy. Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb, John the Baptist leapt for joy. I've had people tell me uh, in my 11 years of ministry that they don't think babies can understand, so therefore they cannot accept the things of God. And one of the passages I always like to go to to dispute that claim is this one. Somehow, the fetus, who would later be John the Baptist, just being near the fetus, Jesus, in Mary's womb, leaps for joy. That's what the text tells us. Why would he leap for joy at the coming of Jesus? Well, because as John will later proclaim in his ministry, it is in Jesus, the Lamb of God, that the sins of the world are going to be taken away. Finally, the long-awaited king that the prophets breathlessly spoke of is here. He's finally going to right the wrongs. It's as the angels declared to the shepherds in the field, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All things in this world will naturally one day pass away. 
I mean, this isn't the Bible just saying it. It's reality. It's life. It's the entropy laws that we live under, everything being prone to decay. But Jesus, the Lord, is eternal. And therefore, the claim of the scriptures is that if one has his focus or her focus on him, if one is rooted in him, that it's possible to have joy no matter what kinds of circumstances you might be in at the moment. Because your rooting is not in temporal things, but in the eternal. So if you lose whatever temporal thing, you can still look to what you have coming. And this is, you know, Jesus and the heaven that he offers us. I saw this sort of joy played out over and over and over again with an old friend of mine named Harold Boucher. Now, you guys don't know Harold Boucher, and you don't need to know Harold Boucher. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. That man, as long as I knew him, never walked around without a smile on his face. And it wasn't a fake smile. You know, like, I mean, I can tell. I'm, I am a, a keen detector of the fake. I am an expert at it. But this dude always had a genuine smile on his face. Now, he was much, much older than me. He was a retired pastor and had since after retirement had gone into business, had done quite well for himself. Uh, and I knew him his last few years of life. And every time I'd see him, I'd say, hey, Harold, how you doing? And he would say something like this. Well, Eric, the Lord loves me and has forgiven me all my sins. I'm doing great. All right, well, what do you say to that? You know, I'm doing good too. You know, I, I, it's a, about as good as answer you could get, right? Well, then I remember a few years later, I found out that he got really sick. I was back in California for a short time visiting my friends and family, and I was made aware that the sickness he had was not going to be the kind that he would recover from naturally and knew that I would probably only have a chance to visit him one more time. So I showed up at his house. To my surprise, he was sort of up and around doing things. Big smile on his face, no indication that he was in the pain that I knew he was in. And I, so I asked him, Harold, how you doing? What do you think he said to me? Well, Eric, the Lord loves me and has forgiven me all my sins. I'm doing great. And I said, I, I know, Harold, all right? I, I know, I know. But like, how are you really doing? You doing okay? What do you think he said to me? Well, Eric, the Lord loves me and has forgiven me all my sins. <laughs> I'm doing great. That was the last time I ever saw Harold alive, but I've never forgotten his infectious joy. And what was it that gave him so much joy? Because that man, and he had told me this a thousand times, realized how incredibly unworthy he was to have Christ come into his life at all. So the more you recognize sort of your own need and your own desperation spiritually, how sort of incapable you are of fixing yourself apart from grace, the more you recognize how amazing Christmas is because it means God comes to you right where you're at and promises to bring forgiveness 
As Jesus says, he who is forgiven much loves much. And why does Elizabeth say all this comes about? Well, because Mary believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. That's what she says at the very end of the passage. Blessed are you because you believed it. If you go back to verse 38, the same chapter, chapter 1 of Luke, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. And the angel tells her about the pregnancy. Let it be to me according to your word. And ultimately, the same is true for you tonight. Praise and humility and this joy really springs out of always faith. Trust that God really did come for you, that he really did pay for all of your sins in his life, death, and resurrection, that he really does love you, that he really has and will change the world, and that he's going to come again and right all the wrongs. And so the only question really that we're kind of forced to ask ourselves every Christmas is, do I believe that? Do I believe that this child came for me, that he did all this for me? I'm going to close with a story. I tell the same story at Christmas time every year unashamedly. I try not to tell the same stories or same illustrations very often um, because I don't, you know, it can get old and, you know, if you've heard it, you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard this, all right, you know. So I try to, as, as best I can, kind of keep it as fresh as I can. But this one story, I'm unashamed to tell every year, and the reason why is because I heard it every year. When I was growing up, my family used to gather around the radio, whether it was in the car or sometimes it would be at home, and every Christmas we would listen to an old radio broadcaster named Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey has been gone for a while now, but every Christmas he would, he would do a broadcast and he'd tell a few different stories. Usually he would deliver the news on any given day, but on Christmas it was different. And every single year he told the same story known as the story of the man and the birds. And so I have unofficially decided to carry on his tradition of carrying on the same story because I think it deals with this very issue of faith in the coming of Christ in a particularly helpful way. So, if you'll indulge me, the story of the man and the birds. There once was a man who by all outward appearances was a good man. He wasn't a Scrooge, he was a kind, mostly decent man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other people, but he just couldn't buy the incarnation stuff. The stuff about God coming into the world and about Jesus becoming man. And so that day, as his wife and children got ready to head off to the midnight service at their local church in town, Instead of going along because he just wanted to keep the peace, this year he said, I really don't mean to distress you, but I just can't do it. I just would feel like a hypocrite going to church. I just don't believe it. But I'll stay up and I'll wait for you until you get home. Have a good time. So his wife and children went. And shortly after they drove away in the car, snow began to fall. And he went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. And then he went back to his fireside chair and started 
to read the day's news when minutes later he was startled by a thudding sound. And then another. And then another. Sort of a thump or a thud. And at first, at first he thought, well, it must be kids like throwing snowballs at his window or something like that. And so he got his jacket on, got his shoes on, walked outside to see if there was any kids out there. No, there's nothing. There's no evidence that there was any snowballs being thrown at all. And then he looked down at his feet and he saw a huddled mass of little birds all looking pathetic in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter and tried to fly through his large landscape window. And so he thought, well, I can't, I can't let the poor creatures freeze out there. I, 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 I can't do that. And so he thought, well, you know, he's got this barn just a few yards away where his children have their pony stabled. And so he thought, well, maybe if I can get them into the barn, then they'll be at least warm for the night and protected through this storm. And so he opened the doors to the barn, and he turned on a light, but the birds did not come. They did not respond at all. So, man thought, well, what if I entice them with food? So he went inside, and he got some bread, and he made a little trail of breadcrumbs to the barn. But now the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to just flap around helplessly in the snow. Man tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, even waving his arms, but to no avail. Instead, they just scattered in every direction except into the warm, lighted barn. And then it dawned on him. He had an epiphany of sorts. They were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned, I am a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I am not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Because any move I make is going to frighten them or confuse them, and they're just not going to follow. They're not going to be led. They're not going to be shooed because they fear me. If only I could be a bird. and mingle with them and speak their language. Then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to the safe, to the safe, warm, lighted barn. But I would have to be one of them so they would see and hear and understand. And right at that moment, the church bells began to ring and the sound of the song, O Come All Ye Faithful, rang out in the night sky and he sank to his knees in the snow. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this good news of the God who comes to us in the trenches, becoming like us in every way yet without sin. 
living for us, dying for us, rising again for us, ascending to the throne above all thrones for us. Lord God, help us to believe it and create in us praise and humility and joy as a result. I ask in Jesus' name.